Hey y'all, spooky season is here. And if you're looking for a show to whet your appetite for a little haunted history, then I'd like to invite you to check out Southern Gothic, a chart-topping history podcast that explores some of the most infamous legends, folklore, ghost stories, and hauntings of the American South. We've covered all sorts of stuff from the Bell Witch of Tennessee to the disappearance of the Confederate submarine, the H.L. Hunley, not to mention our deep dives into the local lore of some of America's oldest and most haunted cities like New Orleans, Charleston, and St. Augustine. So if you're ready for a little good old-fashioned Halloween storytelling with a commitment to quality historical research, then be sure to check out Southern Gothic today. It's available now on all your favorite podcast apps. Hello, everyone. It's Takuya here. And I'm Gabby. And we are the hosts of History of Everything, a podcast which you can probably guess by the name is, well, I mean, it's about everything. Do you want to know why people thought potatoes were evil and would give you syphilis? Are you curious about all the stories of the terrible and stupid ways that people have kicked the bucket over the years? Do you want to hear tales about all of the different badasses of history and the lives that they had brought to life? Well, if so, then look no further. History of Everything is just the right podcast for you. It's available on Spotify, Pandora, and anywhere else that you get your podcast from. Join us for some fun and just see how weird and wacky history can be. The Box of Oddities is now a CastBox original. CastBox is the fastest growing, highest rated podcast app on both iOS and Android, where you can find all your favorite podcasts. You can listen to The Box of Oddities wherever you access your podcasts. But we hope you give CastBox a try. The curator is greatly pleased with CastBox. We think it's the best. What follows may not be suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. The world is full of stories. Stories of mysteries. Of curiosities. Of oddities. Join Kat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth for the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected as they lift the lid and cautiously peer inside the Box of Oddities. Well, we're recording this episode New Year's morning, and uh, I just, I don't know how we're doing it after last night. It was a crazy night last night for us. Um, We ate cheese and watched several episodes of Antiques Roadshow. And Dateline. And Dateline, yes. Don't forget Dateline. And we did have a beer or two. I had a, no, not even a whole one. No, I finished yours. (laughs) Delicious craft beer. We didn't even open the champagne. In fact, uh, we were joking. Oh, we're such party animals. We'll probably be in bed by 10. We were in bed by (laughs) 10.10 last night. Now, that doesn't mean that I slept until after midnight, but that's just because, well, we don't sleep. No, we rarely do. Hope your uh, new year was a safe and and happy one, and uh, looking forward to 2019. It's going to be a great year. 2019, best year yet. I did really enjoy seeing some of the uh, new year posts, though. So a lot of people uh, posting about what they uh, loved most about 2018, what they're most looking forward to in 2019, and I don't know. I I just like seeing people 
people be about them on, you know, I love memes. Don't get me wrong. But I like it when people are real, real. And I, I don't know. I hesitate to say real because real so often is code for I'm going to be a bitch. Yeah. Right. And I'm going to say I'm just going to keep it real. <laughs> yeah. So or just telling it like it is. Yeah. No, I like it when people are genuine. Yeah. There's one person that we know. And I kind of regret knowing this person, but but she's like that. Well, I'm just telling it like it is. No, there's a difference between telling it like no. it is and just being an asshole. Yeah, you're being a twat. You're just being <laughs> a twat. Anyway, less of that in 2019. Yeah. yeah. And more of this alien abduction stories. <laughs> Okay. Yeah. Pulling some information from uh, UFO Insight, Wikipedia, History Channel, The MUFON Files, and CoolInterestingStuff.com. Woohoo. So many of these abduction stories we've all heard 95,000 times. Mm. But this is one that uh, that I came across that I had not heard about. It involves a guy whose name was Harry Turner. Okay. Now, this happened back in 1979, in September of 1979. Uh, Harry Turner was a long-haul truck driver, and he was on a run. But he woke up in his truck in a parking lot, just kind of startled awake. You know how you get like that? It's like, whoa, what? Ooh, I yeah. dozed off there for a moment. The problem was he couldn't remember how he got there. He had no memory of the journey that he had taken to get to that particular spot on his route. Oh, no. He sat there thinking, you know, what happened here? Why I was driving and then and then he looks down and he sees his handgun next to him on the seat Mm -hmm. and eight spent shells. So apparently he had fired his gun eight times or somebody did and then left the firearm in the truck. Now, he thought about that and it seemed to spark his memory a little bit. Suddenly, the episode came flooding back to him. This is what he remembered. He had been traveling on the highway from Winchester to Fredericksburg, Virginia, and he was alone on the road, and suddenly he saw strange bright lights rapidly approaching the truck from behind, Mm -hmm. coming up from behind. The next thing, it seemed as though the truck became totally engulfed in this white light, and the steering wheel was no longer under his control. Oh, no. He couldn't. Uh, it, it was just steering itself, essentially. That's terrifying. So he sat there and he's trying to figure out, what the hell do I do here? I, you know, I'm in an 18 wheeler. Right. Uh, we're barreling down the road. I can't see because my entire truck is engulfed in this bright white light. And uh, there's no steering. To make matters worse. As he's barreling down the road, the door to the truck cabin suddenly flew open and a very, as he put it, unpleasant but strong sensation pressed against Turner's shoulders, pressed him back against the seat. Something was pushing him and holding him in place. At this point, he reached and found his handgun, which is probably not a bad thing to have if you're a long-haul trucker. Yes, that and snacks. Can you reach in the glove box? That's where I keep my snub nose 38 and uh, my Cheez-Its. That <laughs> reminds me of the Maria Bamford uh, bit where she's like, ooh, fresh from the oven. <laughs> <laughs> so he, he grabbed his handgun and he squeezed off eight rounds. He just emptied the, the just revolver. fired them randomly? Random. Well, at in the direction that he thought that whatever this was, was. Okay. He was consumed by fear. And he could hear scampering about on the roof of his uh, of his truck while all of this was happening. So he had the impression that there was something up on top of the truck. And then there was something also inside the cab trying to force him back into his seat, press him into the seat. 
At that point, he was consumed by fear and confusion and he lost consciousness. The next thing that he remembered was waking up in the warehouse parking lot. His watch said that it was just after 11 p.m., but the clock in the warehouse said it was 3 a.m. In the examination of the uh, the truck, of course, this was 79, so they didn't have all the fancy GPS stuff. Mm. But looking at the speedometer, at the odometer, despite having completed an 80-mile trip, the odometer only registered 17 miles. What? Oh, this is very x filesy. It's very x filesy. So that freaked him the fuck out. Um, following this incident, he began to have interesting experiences. One night he was in bed. He was. This was not too long after this had happened. He was lying in bed. Mm, I don't. I don't know if I'm prepared for the interesting experience that a long haul trucker had in bed. That sounds like it's gonna get <laughs> well, <laughs> dirty no, real no, fast. That's no. That's the parking lot at a truck stop. Um. He said he's staring at the ceiling. Suddenly the ceiling just disappeared and he realized he was looking through it. He could see the night sky and the stars that filled it while he was lying in his bedroom. Hmm. It was almost like he had x-ray vision, but it didn't stop there. It became even more frightening. Another night he's lying in bed. He looked over at his wife while she was asleep beside him and he could see her skeleton and internal organs. It was as if her skin was translucent. He said he had like x-ray vision. He had never experienced anything like this prior to this episode. Hmm. Were he high? (laughs) Um, Apparently, he was a teetotaler. Um, He did not do drugs or did he consume alcohol, as the story goes. Now, he became convinced that this ability he had was somehow connected to the experience that he had on the highway. Sure. And uh, what's more, as time went on, further memories of the ordeal came back to him slowly, but surely more and more details surfaced. He suddenly became obsessed with the star system Alpha Centauri. Now, other people who have been abducted or claim to have been abducted have made similar announcements of uh, this part of the universe. It's not that far away. It's like three light years away, four light years away. Mm. So it's a relatively close star system. How many grilled cheese sandwiches? That would be grilled cheese sandwich years, I think, would be the... Oh, I got it. Got it, got it, got it, got it. But he started to remember things. His captors dressed in white, almost like doctors. And even more bizarre, they appeared to have some sort of uh, symbols written on their forehead. He interpreted them as numbers, but they weren't numbers like we know numbers. Mm -hmm. But that's how he kind of interpreted it sure but he was not convinced that he was abducted by extraterrestrials he referred to them as ultra terrestrials when speaking now ultra terrestrials is a couple of different ways that 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 i've seen that defined one is they're interdimensional beings Ah, okay as opposed to people who physically flew here on spaceships got it the other definition is that they are biological creatures that are from earth And are superior to us, but have evaded our perception intentionally. Like Bigfoot. Like a really, really smart Bigfoot. Yeah. Sort of. Used to say Bigfoot's not really, really smart. Every description I've I've ever ever read about Bigfoot Mm -hmm. was that they smelled really, really bad. And you would think a smart person would, you know, know how to use a washcloth once in a while. 
Some of the smartest people I know are stinky. Anyway, sorry. So he was he became convinced that his truck had entered an interdimensional portal. Oh. And the interdimensional travel led to Alpha Centauri or Did he, did those special powers come from just being exposed to Alpha Centauri or what's what's his thought process there? There was no thought process. He was totally confused by it. Ultimately, he became increasingly withdrawn. Uh, Suffering from strange behavior, he had suicidal thoughts. Animals reacted to him very bizarrely when he would approach them. They they didn't want anything to do with him, and and he loved animals. And and up until that point, they loved him. Hmm. He said he had another run-in with uh, the creatures once after that, where four or five of them approached him at some point, and he actually knocked most of them to the ground and tried to make a getaway. He got in his car... And started driving, and then the creature ended up in his car. He became the focal point of a cross-state police chase. I'm sorry. So he was approached by a bunch of these and then knocked them to the ground. What, like like in the parking lot of a Wendy's? or like? Yeah, what? It doesn't say. It, I don't um, know. That all sounds r- super sketchballs. This was reported in the Richmond, Virginia Times-Dispatch in 1979. Okay. So ultimately, he was pulled over by a law enforcement charged with two counts of reckless driving and two counts of failing to heat a siren and flashing lights. The alien was gone at that point. Um, So that is the most ridiculous excuse to try to get out of speeding. I know. You know, I've I've heard that. Oh, there's a bee in the car. You know, (laughs) I've heard that one. Did I ever tell you about the time that I got pulled over on my way home from school? And I uh, what? What had happened was Aretha Franklin was on the radio, uh-huh. and I just got caught up in it. Sure, you know well, how how yeah. that happens. Well, she's the and, queen of soul, right? Uh, uh, but I told the police officer that I had to poop, and he let me go. <laughs> <laughs> I just really I have a serious intestinal discomfort here, searing abdominal cramps, officer. Anyway. Uh, Turner said, um, quote, ever since it all began, I've just been sitting here going over and over it in my mind, trying to piece things back together. I'd feel pretty good if I could figure out where I've been 20 years from now. I'll still probably never know what happened that night. And there isn't a whole lot online about what happened to him, but there is speculation that he has since passed away since uh, since that event. I see. This whole thing, I mean, I don't like to discredit people's stories. I know that everyone's experience is valid to them. And it's just that sounds like the beginning of someone's journey down with mental illness. Yeah. Um, and that's, it just sounds like that was the first time that he recognized that, that something was, was going on. Sure. And, and maybe sure. that was just the start of it. Cause maybe. It sounds to me like that's. That's that's true, but the, a deeper conversation in that is what is reality? Is it uh, reality? Is the thing that most of us agree upon? Mm-hmm. The majority of us say this is real, so that's real. Sure, but who's to say that we're right and they're wrong? Maybe maybe they're just really um, attuned to seeing those things. A little things. more perceptive, yeah. than we are. Yeah, all right. Perhaps all I right. don't know. I no, don't know. I don't know. From all accounts that I was able to find. On this guy, he was just a normal dude, and he tried to outrun this story. He didn't want the notoriety that came along with it. It wasn't like he was seeking publicity. It's just Mm -hmm. something that happened to him. So I'd mentioned this at the top of the story. 
alien abduction, extraterrestrial versus ultra terrestrial. Sure. If these if these creatures are real, what are they? Did they physically come here somehow? They have technology that helps them fly faster than the speed of light, which you would have to do to cross such great distances, or. Are they interdimensional mm-hmm. beings? Do like they climb a, a wormhole? Right, exactly. Are they skinwalkers? That's a whole other topic we'll get into. Mm-hmm. That's a Native American legend of interdimensional beings. Or are these creatures us? Like us, us from, from the future? From the future. Oh. This theory I love. This is a book I read years ago. I, have it, I was able to go down, down into our library and dig this out. I haven't read it for a while. It's by J.H. Brennan. It's called Time Time Travel, A New Perspective. He talks about a Tipler cylinder. Do you know what that is? Have you heard of that? I've heard of it, but I can't recall. It's a theoretical device that could warp time-space and allow people to travel in time. At this point, it's totally impossible to create one because in order to create the type of gravitational field necessary to warp space-time... It would have to be about 4,000 kilometers long and made out of neutron stars and all spinning in unison. Ah. You know, <clears throat> so it's a little hard to do that. Sure. But, sure. But the, I can't even get our toaster to work in no. those days. According to this book, to build a cylinder of manageable proportions, you wouldn't just need material mined from neutron stars. You would need the whole star. In fact, you'd actually need more than one. Dr. Fred Wolf estimates that a working Tipler cylinder would have to be about 40 kilometers across and 4,000 kilometers long. The gravity generated by hundreds of neutron stars spinning in unison would create a warp in the time-space continuum. Mm-hmm. And then allow the, the Morlocks to show up? It could very well. Okay, okay. But here's the interesting thing. I found this fascinating. If they could build this in theory, Mm -hmm. in order to survive the gravitational field, you would have to be in a craft that is disc-shaped in order to get into that gravitational field safely and then back out again. Well, I mean, so much of this is theoretical, I think. That's that's probably a stretch to say it would have to be any certain way. Based Maybe on, you might have to be inside a banana. Of course. It, it's all <laughs> theoretical. But so is so much of science, especially when we're dealing with the quantum level. Sure, absolutely. Yeah. And when you would talk quantum, I try not to assume that I understand anything because... <laughs> Nobody does. Right. <laughs> that's yeah. the beauty of it. But I find that, that hypothesis fascinating. Yeah, that very in order to build this Tipler cylinder... In order to create a, a gravitational field strong enough to bend time-space, and in order for organic beings to survive, you would have to be in a vehicle or a craft or an enclosure that is thin and disc-shaped. Mm-hmm. So you put the pieces together there yourself. Right. You know, we're the aliens, damn it, from the future. That's what I think, Maybe. I think it's a fascinating theory. It sure is. It certainly is appealing. Yeah, banana. And now, that thing in the middle. Got an email from Cody who sent us a uh, glitch in the matrix or just a weird thing that happened to him. I love it when you freaks send us uh, your own stories. Oh, it's so good. This is creepy. So I'm going to share with you my one and hopefully only 
ever interaction with shadow people. This will be the first time I've ever told anyone about it. This happened about nine years ago or so. I was working at a grocery store. That was about a 45 minute drive from my house. And I worked the early morning stock shift. So I had to leave every morning about three o'clock or so. I was about probably six minutes from the house or so when uh, I just felt this heavy feeling in my chest. Well, I've never had a full-blown panic attack, but I would imagine that this is what it feels like. My chest just suddenly tightened. Something was telling me, look in the rearview mirror. So I glanced in the rearview mirror and back behind my vehicle, I saw what was as little as five, maybe as many as 10 pairs of glittering eyes. They were like emeralds shining in the dark. And they took shapes of men and took off running after my car. And the only thing I could think like, as my chest just kept getting tighter and tighter, it was becoming harder and harder for me to breathe. One thought was just going through my mind. You gotta get out, you gotta drive, drive faster, drive faster, Cody, you gotta get the fuck out of there. So I stepped on the gas and I was doing about 60 and it felt like I was only going five miles an hour. It was like time had slowed down. I could see every detail that passed by on the side of the road and one of them ran up beside the window, looked in at me, felt like it looked through me and the hatred and malice was palpable. You could feel it. It was suffocating. And like I said, the only features that I could see were its two emerald eyes. Now you would imagine that with something evil, you would think red, but the, they were green. No features, but I could feel it smile at me. Now, I don't know if you have ever been truly terrified. This terror that I felt, I, I can't think of how to put it into words. Terrified, not only for my life, but it felt like for my soul. It smiled at me, you could tell. Now, I want you to think of the worst thing that you can possibly imagine and then multiply it by cancer. That's what I felt in this smile. How I'm not raving in an asylum after seeing that will forever be beyond me. It was pure madness, insanity, and hatred. And a little touch of humor all at the same time in that smile. That smile said, I'm eternal and you are not. It felt like I stared at that smile for hours, even though it may have only been for no more than a second. And then, like that, they were gone. Thanks, Cody. That is uh, creepy. It's horrifying and obviously, you know, had a huge impact on you. And the fact that you're willing to share it with us and and everyone, everyone's else is... Everyone's else is... Everyone's else is... Yeah, we appreciate it. It's pretty amazing is all I'm saying. Cody goes on to say in his email that he's uh, making the trip to Nashville from the uh, Mississippi Delta to... Uh, 
to see the live show at Zany's in Nashville. And if you would like to join us too, you can. You can get tickets at our website. TheBoxOfOddities.com Click on the live show link. This is The Box of Oddities. I said box. What you got for moi? Oh. What you got for moi? All right, big thanks to Haley, uh, who sent us a tweet and said, Hey guys, have you heard of the silent twins, June and Jennifer Gibbons? Seems like a story you'd find cool. uh, And it is a story that I found cool. I'm super excited to talk about it today. Uh, Big thanks at Dat Prickly Pear. Mm -hmm. June and Jennifer Gibbons were the daughters of Caribbean immigrants, Gloria and Aubrey Gibbons. Gloria was a housewife. Aubrey worked as a technician for the Royal Air Force. And shortly after uh, the girls were born in Yemen, their family moved to Wales. The twin sisters were inseparable and they spoke in a very uh, high speed Bajan Creole, which made it difficult for people to understand them, especially coming from Yemen to Wales. The, the girls actually had this accent, but they also really sped it up intentionally so that they could only speak with each other. And then they used synchronized hand gestures so that the other would know where they were going. So even if the sped up language didn't trigger, you know, auditorily what that person was saying, the, the gestures would get it there. So the girls kind of created their own language. So they only spoke with each other. And it started out as a game, but eventually their secret language kind of trapped and isolated them. It didn't help that they were the only black children in this community. They were ostracized at school. June and Jennifer were teased mercilessly uh, throughout elementary and middle school. And uh, so they continued becoming more and more isolated. Mm. Um, They actually got to the point where teachers allowed them to leave school early every single day so that they would avoid bullying. Wow. What year was this? When they were in school? When they were in school. Uh, It would have been like the early to mid 70s. Oh, okay. All right. Sorry, I didn't say when they were born. Sorry, they were born in 63. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) So yeah, they're in school. They're getting teased mercilessly. Um, And by the age of 11... When they're walking around town, they began kind of walking in sync. And of course, people thought it was weird. Uh, They would, their steps would be perfectly matched and they'd walk at the same pace. See, that's, that's creepy. But if anyone looked at them, they would completely freeze. That's even creepier. By the age of 14, June and Jennifer's parents and teachers were concerned about their development. Um, So they thought that because they were so isolated and because they relied on each other so heavily, that they would separate them to encourage socialization. Um, So they sent them to boarding schools, separate boarding schools. And the girls became nearly catatonic until they were reunited. It took two years before the parents said, okay, this obviously isn't working. They're just getting worse and worse. So at the age of 16, Jennifer left the Eastgate Center for Special Education and June left the St. David's Adolescent Unit and they were returned home to their parents. The siblings after that became even more reclusive. Yeah, I imagine they were all messed up after that. Right. They And they... They clung to each other because they were afraid they were going to be pulled mm, apart again. Right. They almost entirely limited themselves to their shared bedroom for years. Their mom would just push mail under their door and leave food outside of their room. No kidding. Because they 
they didn't want to anything to do with anyone else. Occasionally, they'd talk with their younger sister, whose name was Rose, and that was pretty much it. They however, had an incredible uh, imagination and and worked together to create. So they made plays and stories of like a soap opera style. Um, They read some of them aloud on tapes as gift for their sister. They were inspired by a pair of diaries that they got in 1979 and began writing. And they sent away for a mail order course in creative writing. And each of them ended up writing several novels. No way. June wrote a novel called The Pepsi-Cola Addict. It was about a high school hero who was seduced by a teacher and then sent away to a reformery where a guard ended up making a play for him. Um, It was kind of dark and uh, twisted. Uh, Jennifer wrote The Pugilist, uh, which was about a physician who is so eager to save his child's life that he kills the family dog to obtain the heart for a transplant. And then the dog's spirit lives on in the child and ultimately has its revenge against the father. (laughs) Yeah, I would enjoy that. I mean, it sounds interesting AF. So from their room, the family heard talking, uh, laughing, occasional fighting as well, but they rarely saw June or Jennifer. Sometimes the girls would leave notes. Uh, They'd shove notes underneath the the door of their bedroom uh, if they needed something specific and didn't want to come out for it. No kidding. Wow. So, So there was no social interaction to speak of. Even with family, except for their little sister, right? Yeah, for for a length of time, for sure. Um, But it wasn't all happy fun times. June and Jennifer were born only 10 minutes apart, but Jennifer saw June as the older sibling. Mm -hmm. And Jennifer was very jealous of her. Um, June wrote in her diary that Jennifer had a, quote, murderous gleam in her eye and said that she was uh, terrified of her. That is a very complex relationship. Oh, for sure. My they God. It was like they depended on each other, but it was codependent to the point of madness. Um, June once wrote that her sister was driving her insane. Uh, Jennifer, on the other hand, had written on several occasions ideas about her untimely demise. Mm. She had this idea that she was going to to go soon. And Jennifer actually claimed that she and her sister had become fatal enemies in each other's eyes. She described June as her shadow in one of her diaries and wrote this, Without my shadow, would I die? Without my shadow, would I gain life, be free, or be left to die? Hmm. So as they're getting a little bit older, they both began drinking heavily. They uh, lashed out at each other physically. They uh, attempted to kill each other on several occasions. June once tried to drown Jennifer in a river, and uh, Jennifer tried to strangle June with a radio cord. In uh, October of 1981, they burned down a tractor store together and caused $200,000 worth of damage. Uh, They then vandalized and attempted to burn down a local technical college. Wait, wait, wait. They burned down a tractor store? Yeah. Okay. 
Um, was it just because it was the nearest building or they had some hatred for farm equipment? I, have, I don't, I'm not sure the motives there. All I know is that that incident is what led to them being admitted uh, to a high security mental health okay. hospital. All right. Where they remained for 14 years. June blamed their sentence and how long that they were there for on the fact that they were selectively mute, that they wouldn't speak to people mm-hmm. to, mm-hmm. to, I don't know, prove that they weren't a danger to others. But um, she said, we lost hope. I wrote a letter to the queen asking her to get us out, but we were trapped. But, you know, she obviously blamed it on the way that they behaved in there. But they also had tried to burn down a college. So, you know, she may be laying the blame elsewhere (laughs) when, you know, there's some stuff going on. Sure. Eventually, because of uh, the way that they talked to each other and because of their story, their twins, twins are always interesting. Um, the Sad- Sunday Times journalist Marjorie Wallace and a British tabloid, The Sun, uh, gave stories of these girls. And then they were the subject of a television drama called The Silent Twins in 1986 that was broadcast on BBC. During that interview with Marjorie Wallace, Jennifer calmly stated that she had decided she was going to die so that June could live a normal life. And according to Wallace, the girls had a long-standing agreement that if one did die, the other one must begin to speak and live a normal life. But because of their weird relationship, because of their, I can't call it anything other than codependency or whatever it was that created that dynamic, mm. they, they, de- they had agreed that it was necessary that one of them die. And so did they draw straws or it was just let nature take its course? Jennifer agreed to make the sacrifice of her life so that June could live. Really? It's March 1993 and the twins are being transferred from Broadmoor to the more open Caswell Clinic. On the way to the institution, Jennifer slept throughout the trip with her eyes open. And when they reached the new clinic, she was unresponsive. Later, she was pronounced dead. Wow. She had died from inflammation of her heart, but there was no clear cause of that inflammation. And otherwise, Jennifer was in good health. She had no drugs or alcohol in her system. And she was only 30. Yeah. Wow. Math. Math. Mathing is hard sometimes. June claimed that Jennifer had laid her head on her shoulder shortly before passing and said, at long last, we're out, which were supposedly her last words and also leads you to believe that Jennifer knew what was coming. Yeah, right. Um, we out. Exactly. Seacrest out. Just like that. Yeah. After Jennifer's death, June began to interact a little more normally with others, and the clinic released her in 1994. She wrote uh, in one of her entries, we were holding each other back. She had written in one of her previous entries in her diary, we are both holding each other back. Dear Lord, I am scared of her. She's not normal. She's having a nervous breakdown. Someone is driving her insane. It is me. Wow. So later when uh, Wallace is doing later after Wallace had done this interview and she spoke of Jennifer having died and leaving June, she 
said that the girls had said that their close relationship made them feel possessed hmm. and tortured, that it wasn't a close relationship. It was a dependency be- that went beyond the two of them. So when Jennifer is released from the clinic in 1994, she's actually accepted back into her community. And she wasn't very outgoing ever, but she did live a much more normal life as an independent woman. No more arson of farm machinery. That's right. Okay, that's good. She did deal, though, for a long time with a tremendous amount of guilt that because she believed that Jennifer had to die hmm. for her to to live. That's kind of like next level survivor's guilt, isn't it? Because it wasn't just that Jennifer died and she lived. It was that Jennifer had to die for her to in, live. In her mind. In yes. her mind. Right. Um, June reportedly visits her sister's grave every week and to medication for what doctors believe to be schizophrenia. But uh, she does seem to be uh, functioning yeah. well in the community and, uh, and, and doing much better without Jennifer. What... Uh, any word as to what she does? Is she still a... She writes. She's a writer. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. I'm going to dig up some of her work. It sounds terribly interesting. It does indeed. Wow. That's fascinating. So that's great. So this episode, uh, Two Freaks suggested both topics. Thanks, guys. We appreciate it. No thanks to you, though, Snortles. So there you go. It's the uh, first box of oddities for 2019. We're excited this is going to be the best year yet, as you said. The important word there is yet, not the best year ever. I like to say the best year ever as of yet. As of now, the best year ever. Because every time I say best year ever, you correct me. Right. It's which best. I can't say that I care for. It's sir. the best year yet. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see you again on Monday. Until then, keep flying that freak flag. Fly it proudly, you beautiful freak. And so, let it be known that the box of oddities belongs to you. And its fate is in your hands. The Box of Oddities commits to the telling of stories. Stories of the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected. We wish to offer our deeply felt gratitude and appreciation for your patronage. TheBoxOfOddities.com On Facebook at Facebook.com slash Box of Oddities Podcast. On Twitter at Box of Oddities and Instagram at Box of Oddities Podcast. Copyright 2019. All rights reserved. If you like this podcast, can we recommend another one? It's called Big Picture Science. You can hear it wherever you get your podcasts, and its name tells part of the story. The big picture questions and the most interesting research in science. Seth and I are the hosts. Seth is a scientist. I am Molly, and I'm a science journalist. And we talk to people smarter than us, and we have fun along the way. The show is called Big Picture Science, and as Seth said, you can hear it wherever you get your podcasts. Are you interested in the parts of history that remain a mystery? Do you want to learn more about the historical myths and misconceptions used to prop up false belief today? I'm Nathaniel Lloyd. In my podcast, Historical Blindness, I delve into all of these topics, sharing puzzling tales from the past and examining hoaxes, conspiracy theories, and misremembered events that provide insight into modern politics and religion. New episodes every two weeks. Find Historical Blindness on most podcast players and platforms.